Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. So we're, we're in the middle of a series uh, called Make Room. And really, we have to make room for God, what God wants to do in our lives. Um, we've spent, this is week six. We started off just saying, look, we've got to make room for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. And that's what we're doing right now in this moment where the worship is extended. I'm just making room. I told you on the front end, I don't want to do what we're doing anymore without life change. I don't want to just keep doing what we do just because. Amen. I'm not interested in that. I want God to show up and change lives. And as we move into 2022, listen, all that responsibility is not on God just to say, boom, I'm changed. And then we never have to do anything. There are moments where we have to walk that out. I was talking to Brent this morning before rehearsal and we're just talking about emotional healthiness and and we got to grow up emotionally. And some of that's on us. Because the Lord's not going to just deposit, just, just boom, and all of a sudden you're mature emotionally. Sorry, I'm, I'm sidetracking way. I haven't even... just need to make room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think the problem with a lot of us is we've been Christians for a long time. For me, I, was, I, I gave my heart to the Lord at the age of seven in an in a elementary or a primary classroom. They were doing a prayer moment. So almost for 40 years, I've been walking with the Lord in one form or the other, not always committed like I should have been, but I've been around the things of God my entire life. So when I look back, am I 40 years old in the faith or am I a one-year-old 40 different times? And I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves is we're not growing the way that we should be because we're just waiting on God to do something in our lives when he's saying, I need you to do something in response We've got to make room for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in our lives. And so that's what this series has been about from beginning until now. We've talked about various things. Last week, we talked about making room for gratitude. And I'm going to do kind of a part two on that, making room for gratitude. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said these words, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to recap last week very quickly. We, I gave you three things last week. I said, number one, we have to reorder our thoughts. And we looked at numerous examples of people in Scripture who were focused on the wrong things. Gideon, King Saul, Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah. We kind of just did a flyover reference to some of those. All of these people made excuses for why they couldn't do what God was asking them to do. I'm too young. I'm the least in my clan. My tribe is the smallest. I don't know what to say. I have a stuttering problem. And when we constantly focus on what we do not have, then what we do have will never be enough. Oh, I have a car, but it's not the one I want. I have a house, but it's, it's not the one I want. I have a job, but it's not the one I want. I have a spouse, but... (laughs) When I'm constantly focusing, focusing on what I do not have, it will rob me of my gratitude. And when I'm low on gratitude, you can guarantee that I'm also low on joy. Number two, we said you got to stop complaining. 
The natural progression from focusing on what I do not have is to begin to complain. So that was step two. Stop complaining. If I only had this, if I only had that, I hate my job. I hate my boss. I hate my family. I I wish it were this way or that way. I wish it was the way it used to be. I wish we could go back to the way it was before COVID. We're never satisfied. And we look specifically at the children of Israel in the Old Testament, how they complained in the desert. They were so sick of the manna. Oh, if we could just go back to Egypt where they'd been in bondage and slavery for 400 years. If we could just back to Egypt, then we could have all the fish and the onions and the spices that we want, and we could have it for free. And God dealt harshly with those who complained. They all died. Some of them died instantly from a plague because they aroused the anger of the Lord. Others died on the journey, on the way to their promised land, never seeing what God had promised them. Either way, those who complained never reached their promise. And we will miss out on our promised land if we live a life of complaining. And one and two are closely related, almost intertwined. Show me someone who's constantly focused on what they do not have, and I'll show you someone who lives a life of complaint, and vice versa. And number three, we said we have to remove the gratitude thieves. People, places, things, thoughts, and attitudes. We talk specifically about ungodly beliefs, how they will steal our gratitude when our thought life comes into agreement with things that are contrary to God's word, his nature, or his character, you can rest assured that we're not going to be living a life of gratitude. We have to remove those thoughts from our lives. Sometimes you have to remove certain people or places or things. I told you that Katie and I are on a bit of a social media fast. Several weeks ago, I took social media off of my phone. And for about five days, I was living the FOMO life. My whole life was hashtag FOMO. How many of you have no idea what that is? Fear of missing out. And that was true, man. I'm walking around my living room and I'm just like, I do not know what to do with my hands. I don't know. I do not know what to do with my life. But in a weird way, as I distanced myself from the start of it, in a weird way, it was like I was taking my life back. So sometimes it's people that you have to remove or limits. You have to limit some relationships in your life. You may have to stop going to certain places We have to remove or reorder those things that are stealing our gratitude. And finally, this is why. This is why we have to do that. We talked about the science behind gratitude, that gratitude is is scientifically and medically proven to improve our lives. That gratitude literally rewires our brain. I cited all kinds of medical studies and fumbled over the words. Here's just a few of the highlights. Gratitude changes the neural structures in our brain. Gratitude is a natural antidepressant. One of the articles said that when practiced daily, it can almost be as effective as medications. We said that gratitude releases toxic emotions. Gratitude reduces physical pain. Gratitude increases sleep quality. Gratitude aids in stress regulation. And finally, gratitude reduces anxiety and stress. There's no wonder why Paul instructed us to give thanks in all circumstances. Because no matter what it is that we're facing, gratitude will help us help get us to the other side. Amen. My former pastor, Rod Trusty, who spoke here before the summer, once asked this question in a sermon, and I don't think I'll ever forget it. If you woke up tomorrow with only what you thanked God for yesterday... What would you have? It's a sobering question. If you woke up tomorrow with only what you thanked God for yesterday, what would you have? 
Some of us would be homeless. Some of us would be alone. Our kids and our spouse would be gone. Look, and I understand that thanking God for everything we have in detail every single day isn't a realistic concept. But I love the heart behind the question, are we living a life of gratitude? Again, Paul told us, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. What does he say? How can I rejoice always? Am I just laughing? Am I smiling about everything? Do I never experience grief or loss or difficulty? No, he's saying that we are to live a life of joy, a life that understands that no matter what I'm facing, it's all temporary. And as Christ followers, we have hope and assurance that no matter how it works out on this side of eternity, that ultimately we win. How do I pray continually? Do I turn all of my thoughts and words into prayers? No, we understand that that's not physically possible, but it's a life that's in constant communion with the Father. It's an awareness of who He is and what He's doing all around us. It's an awareness of the omnipresence of God, which is Him being everywhere. Not just a head knowledge of God is everywhere all the time, but a heart that's been transformed and sees and acknowledges that God is in everything. David said in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, that the skies proclaim the work of his hands, right? Living a life of prayer and communion with him is us joining with the angelic choir that we read about in Isaiah when he said, they said, and they, the angels, were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We had this concept that God's glory is only in heaven, but it's the angels who were looking at us and saying, holy, 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 the whole earth. The earth is full of his glory. Praying continually is a constant communion with God and awareness that he is in all things. Rejoicing always is an acknowledgement that my joy and my happiness are not found in temporary things. And giving in all circumstances is my pathway to peace and joy and contentment. I want to turn our attention just quickly to the New Testament. In the book of Luke, it's a very popular passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 17. Beginning in verse 11, it says this, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity or mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. One, One of the things that I notice in this passage of Scripture is the union between the Jewish and Samaritan people. Because Samaritans and Jews did not intermingle. Right? There seems to be, as you read Scripture, a genuine hatred between these two groups of people. And it dates all the way back to... When the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians, many people of Israel were led off to Assyria and they were led off as captives. But historians believe that some remained in the land and intermarried with foreigners planted there by the Assyrians. So these half Jewish, half 
Gentile people became known as the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans, in essence, were a mixed race. They weren't fully Jews and they weren't fully Gentiles. They weren't Jewish enough to be accepted by the Jews and they weren't Arabic enough to be considered Assyrians. And I think a lot of time that we find ourselves in this situation spiritually, we're living in this tension of I've been saved by Jesus and my citizenship has been changed to a heavenly kingdom, but I'm still physically in this world, surrounded by sin and brokenness and heartache. And I'm trying to balance the tension between these two worlds. It's the classic in the world, but not of the world. But do you see what bridged the gap? It was sickness and disease. Under normal circumstances, these two groups of people would not have been intermingled. But when disaster struck, suddenly they had more in common than they had differences. I don't know if this is kind of a sidebar to the topic of gratitude, but I don't want to skip over this. We know that the one who returned to give thanks was a Samaritan through Scripture. The implication is that the other nine were Jews. It was their tragedy that brought them together. And I think as Christ followers, we're often guilty of trying to hide our wounds and our shortcomings. But what people really want to see in us is honesty and authenticity. And sadly, one of the overarching beliefs about Christians currently in the culture is that we're judgmental, homophobic bigots. Instead of being vulnerable, we sometimes come across as self-righteous. People have trouble relating to us, and, they, and we have trouble relating to them. Do you know what will bridge the gap? Our wounds and our hurts and our mistakes. One of my favorite quotes of all time is, we lead with our strengths, but we connect with our weaknesses. If we will take our masks off, metaphorically speaking, and let people know that we have experienced pain, that we've experienced loss, that serving Jesus isn't always easy. Serving Jesus doesn't exempt me from pain or sorrow. If we'll take the time to listen to people and hear their story, we'll find those connection points and we'll be able to insert how Jesus came into our messed up lives and changed everything. But it's our heartache and our sickness and our disease and our weaknesses and our failures that bridge the gap so that we can share the love of Jesus. Can I know that was a sidebar too? To gratitude by it. I just thought it was important. Look again at verse 14. It says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I think it's worth noting that the miracle didn't happen until they went. Right? They received a word from God and they simply obeyed. Right? They could have said, because it was, it was against the law for them to be in public places. They could have said, it's against the law for us to go into town. I'm not doing that. But they could have said... I'm not going to show myself to the priest until you heal me. But if that would have been their response, then the miracle would have never happened. See, a lot of times we want to see the miracle first, and that's, that's not how it works. Because miracles follow obedience. What is it that God is asking you, asking you to do? What action are you putting off because it doesn't look like you thought that it would look. Only you can answer that question. What word has God deposited into your life, into your heart? What has he spoken to you to do? And you're like, ah, that doesn't feel right. I'm not doing that. You know it's from God. 
But our resistance will keep us from stepping into the miraculous because miracles follow obedience. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. It was appropriate to praise God in a loud voice, don't you think? I think even sometimes in our modern culture, it got a little loud earlier. I know it was kind of loud. We were playing loud and you guys were screaming loud and whatever it is that you were doing. Sometimes it makes people uncomfortable, but you don't know what somebody's been through. When somebody just got healed of leprosy and they fall at Jesus' feet and they're crying out with a loud voice, cry on, buddy, cry on. I don't know what you've been through. I'm not talking about a free-for-all where we just draw attention to ourselves, but I'm talking about when Jesus does something in our hearts and in our lives, there's a reason for us to celebrate, to lift our voice loudly, to lift our hands, to cry, to kneel, whatever it is, whatever feels appropriate in that moment. There's, there's a reason for that. So he was healed. He cried out to the Lord in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Look, I don't know why the Samaritan was the only one who came back. But the writer of this, Luke, draws special attention to the fact that it was a Samaritan that came back. Jesus had said in another passage of Scripture that whoever is forgiven of much loves much. Maybe it was because the Samaritan was healed of more than just leprosy. Maybe he struggled with his identity, not Jewish enough, not Arabic enough. Maybe it was because he was considered dirty by the Jewish people. And yet here's this Jewish rabbi showing him compassion. Whatever the reason, his actions, his gratitude moved Jesus. This is Jesus' response. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Leprosy was a very, very dreaded disease. Once diagnosed with leprosy, you were cut off from society. I mean, imagine never being able to hold your wife or your husband again. Never being able to kiss your kids or your grandkids goodnight. Never being able to go into public places ever again. And then add to that the humiliation of any time that anyone was approaching you, you had to yell, unclean, unclean. You had to let them know, don't come any closer because I've got this dreaded disease. For a long time, it was considered that leprosy was a disease of the skin, and that's part of what happens. But thanks to the work of Dr. Paul Brand, we now know that leprosy is really a disease of the nerves. Here's what they discovered. Leprosy destroys nerve endings that carry pain signals. Therefore, patients with advanced leprosy experience a total loss of physical pain. When these people can, cannot sense touch or pain, they tend to injure themselves or be unaware of injury caused by an outside agent. In fact, some leprosy patients have had their fingers eaten by rats in their sleep because they were totally unaware of it happening. The lack of pain receptors could not warn them of the danger. See, people with leprosy would experience wounds, and because they couldn't feel it, they would develop these severe infections that would literally cause their body parts to fall off. And so they would look at someone with leprosy, and they would think, oh, it's making their flesh right off. But really what was happening is they couldn't feel pain. Why am I telling you all this? 
Because all of these ten lepers were either experiencing these symptoms or at least knew someone or they knew that that was a possibility. And even if all of them weren't currently experiencing the, the most severe physical deformities that were possible, they were all isolated from society and cut off from the ones that they loved most. Right? And we've seen firsthand over the last year and a half what a quarantine, what, the, what kind of effect that has on people. Depression on the rise, suicide attempts on the rise, physical, verbal, and sexual abuse on the rise. And here they are with no end in sight. There was no hope of ever going back to normal until Jesus showed up. I'm telling you that to say that surely the other nine felt some kind of gratitude. How would you have responded? How would I have responded? You have a debilitating disease. Your body possibly is literally rotting off. You can't feel anything any longer. You've been cut off from everyone that you love. And Jesus shows up and says, go show yourself to the priest, which was what the custom was in order to be, had to be cleared by the priest to be like, okay, you don't have leprosy anymore, you can go back. What, what would your response have been? Would you have been grateful? You mean that all nine, only one person, only one, only the Samaritan was grateful? That the other nine felt no gratitude at all? I can't imagine that they were completely ungrateful, but it leads me to this conclusion. That gratitude that is not expressed is often perceived as ingratitude. They may have been grateful in their heart, but their lack of expression of gratitude was perceived as ingratitude. Gratitude cannot be expressed internally. You may feel grateful on the inside, but until you express that gratitude on the outside, it's not really gratitude. It's just warm, fuzzy feelings. Gratitude that is not expressed is often perceived as ingratitude. We're almost done. Verse 14, going back to that, it says, And as they went, they were cleansed. We've already referenced that it was there as they were going. They weren't cleansed first. They went first, and then they were cleansed. The word cleansed here means that they were cleansed. They were healed. Their leprosy was gone. Their skin was back to normal, right? There was a healing that took place. And then in verse 19, it says, Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. He's only talking to the Samaritan at this point, the, the, the one who came back to thank Jesus, who knelt at his feet and cried out in a loud voice and said, Thank you for healing me. He says, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Some versions say your faith has saved you. Some of you know that the word saved in the Greek is the word sozo. The word sozo implies more than just a physical healing, right? It's a complete salvation. It's to be made whole, completely. So in verse 14, they're all healed. But in verse 19, only one was made whole. Jesus healed them all of leprosy, but the one who showed gratitude was the one that was made whole. I wonder if our lack of expressed gratitude at times is keeping us from receiving all that God has for us. Where we've become just so selfish in nature, I think, a lot of times. Western, our, our religion, our Christianity is a Western American religion. Next year, I have a series on schedule called 
well, unless the Holy Spirit leads otherwise, called American Jesus. <laughs> but I wonder how many of us are serving the American Jesus. Most of you know we have two small kids in the house, two-year-old, three-year-old, and four-year-old. And um, we have done an amazing job at spoiling them. You know, it started with, we have, we have a large collection of Hot Wheels, uh, cars, monster trucks, and paraphernalia. And every birthday or holiday, it just gets worse. Uh, and we're really every trip to the store. You're like, yeah, we can get that. It started off with a 99-cent Hot Wheels car, then it moved to monster trucks, and, and we, we have a small fortune invested, it seems like. But our kids, as we try to train them about being grateful, you know, it's our fault that we've spoiled them. Every time we go to Target or somewhere, they think it's time to get a new car, a new monster truck. And it's gotten to the place where... Um, you know, a monster truck is, is $4, uh, Hot Wheels car is a dollar. So you kind of justify it on the front, it's just a dollar, it's fine. And then it goes to $4, and then it's like it's a double pack because you can't, you know, you've, we've already got all of the ones that are on the shelf. In order to get the one you don't have, you've got to get the double pack, now you spend $8. And it's just like we've unintentionally spoiled them in a way and created a heart of ingratitude, which they don't really understand gratitude. We try to teach that to them. But it becomes the Hot Wheels car for a dollar is not enough. And they don't understand the concept of, of money, obviously. They're three. You just, you know, Emmett just turned three. But this one's no longer enough. I need the monster truck. Or the monster truck's no longer enough. I want the big Hot Wheels garage that costs $100. And when we leave, they're often upset that they didn't get the bigger and the better and I wonder if, and, and you know, as we're trying to reel in our, our mistake of spoiling them too much, there's a lot of heartache involved when we say they can't get anything. Instead of being grateful for the car, okay, well now because of your attitude, you get nothing. How do you like that? When they don't like it at all. <laughs> but I wonder though, and even going back to my opening comments, which is something we'll talk about in 2022, because they're emotionally immature, how many of us are emotionally immature and we don't thank God for the small things enough and we're living a life of, non, of ingratitude because we don't express our gratitude for all of the small things that he's done? That's not enough anymore. Okay, you saved me, but that's not enough. Now I need this. Come on. The other nine, it doesn't say that they were made whole. It says that they were healed. But the one who had gratitude was made whole. Are we living our lives as three and four year old toddler kids? That's not enough, God. I want, the, I want something else. Are we missing out on being made whole completely? And now knowing, going back to last week, how the science of it all works in our minds, our lack of gratitude producing depression and sadness and anxiety. <laughs> I told you when I was studying that, I, that day I'd had not a great day and I was reflecting on my week and just didn't go the way I wanted it to. And in my journal I was writing my complaint and uh, 
And then I came across this, you know, and I said last week how I quickly flipped open a page. I got a page now just as gratitude. And every day when I'm writing, I just write a few things. And it's everything. You know what I mean? Like it's the small things. I'm, I'm trying to rewire my brain because I don't want to live in a state of anxiety and like worry and stress. Look, I understand things are going to happen that, that are going to trigger me in those areas. Yesterday, for instance, this guy, and I don't usually honk the horn, uh, but this guy, he comes up to, do you, are you, do you guys drive in such a way that people that follow the law get on your nerves? Is anybody else? Like the guy, yeah. Like the guy stops completely at the stop sign. You're like, what are you doing? There's nobody coming. Like, I, that's where I live, right? Like, coming home, it's 12.30 a.m. You stop at a stop sign on a rural road, and the guy's like, I'm like, come on, do you have to wait three seconds for this? Let's go, right? So this guy, we're, we're traveling in Ocala on, uh, I don't know what the road is, the road Trinity Catholic's on, coming toward 441. 30 second. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> So we're on 32nd, we're on the racetrack, we're, we're at the red light, I'm getting ready to turn right to come back to Bellevue, and uh, you know, we're going to be going south on, on 441, and the guy in front, the light was yellow, we're all in the turn, it's yellow, and we're all going, and the guy had turned red, and you know, I would have went. <laughs> he just slammed on the, it was right on red, right on red is legal, I know you're supposed to stop first, I understand all that, so, but I would have just gone on, Right? He just stopped. He made me slam on my brakes. I was like, what is this guy doing? And then I was like, okay, he's following the law. Just get it together. And he just sat there. And I was like, he clearly doesn't understand how driving works. <laughs> and I, I wasn't even in a bad mood. We'd had a great, we had a great time. We went to Ollie's, one of my favorite, I start to say restaurants, one of my favorite places to go. Nobody else likes Ollie's, I can tell. <laughs> it's amazing. You just go in there and look at all the, it's good stuff cheap. Anyway, so we're coming out. Man, it's had a great day. They're playing Christmas music. You know what I mean? Like if you're getting in the holiday spirit, I'm ready. Like normally I'm like, don't start the Christmas music. But I'm like, we've been playing it while we're cooking. Like we're just ready. So I'm, I'm in a good mood. I wasn't even angry. But then the guy just stops. And I don't even know why I'm telling you a story now, but I've got to finish it. And so <laughs> the guy slams on the brakes and he's sitting there. Talking about being emotionally healthy. And uh, he's sitting there for no reason, apparently. And the, other, the light that went was the right hand. I, I, I don't know. There's no reason for him to be sitting there long. So I just went beep, beep. And uh, he did not like that at all. <laughs> he is not emotionally healthy. And so he, <laughs> he pulled out on the 441. And he's doing like five miles an hour on purpose. Oh. And I was like, okay, what do I do now? Like, you know, I had... I was thinking, I was thinking sign language. Like, I, was, I don't know if that's good. <laughs> thinking all kinds of things. So I just sat behind him for a second. And then I was like, okay, well, I got to go around him. But I'm trying not to do it in an obnoxious way. Like, you know what I mean? I'm trying not to, trying not to escalate the thing. And so I, I got over. I tried to do it gently. I pulled up beside him and he goes. <laughs> so... I'm trying to say, I've been working on my emotional state. Had this been even three or four months ago, I probably would have been like, it's blowing up, right? We got we to gotta get, get it. I'm sorry, that was, that was a bad rabbit trail, but at least you got to laugh a second. Um, we got to grow up emotionally, right? To where when we don't get everything that we want, we're not losing our mind. You know, today, you know, I said this at the beginning just to let you know, in case something was kind of wonky, man, we, I did not know what happened. 
It's almost like the sound system is demon-possessed some Sundays. You know, and it's like there's no reason for it to be different every week. Like, there's just no reason. Nobody even uses it. We come in, we use it. The next week we come in, and it looks the same, but it's not the same. And today was especially, especially difficult. I mean, I was just processing the whole moment as we spent the entire rehearsal time running back and forth and tweaking, and I can't hear this, and I can't that, and it's just the whole thing. But in my heart, I was thinking, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. Because God's going to show up, the anointing will make up the difference. So my emotional state, even a few months ago, would have been chaos. You know, I remember having some frustrating moments in rehearsal thinking, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep leading this and having all this chaos right before I'm supposed to come to the pulpit and speak the word. Like, I can't. But I guess I'm growing up emotionally a little bit. I wasn't really that bothered. And I'm saying that we all have to do that. We can't live in this Americanized more, 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 more. I'm ungrateful for whatever you're doing until you give me what I want that I'm going to throw a fit like my three-year-old and four-year-old. And I don't know if that's what the nine did that came to Jesus. I, I don't know. I know I'm reading into the passage a little bit. I'm just saying that the nine were healed and the one was made whole. And the only difference is we see his gratitude was expressed. Adrian, you can come and play. I want to challenge us to live a life of gratitude. Don't miss out on the fullness of what God has for us by keeping our gratitude on the inside. Listen, the truth is we all have spiritual leprosy, so to speak. We were all outcasts unable to feel or experience the love of the Father until Jesus made a way. And just like Jesus passed by them on that road, He's passing by us and He's waiting for us to cry out to Him and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I'm sick, maybe physically, but without Christ, I'm certainly sick spiritually. And Jesus, I need you. Jesus not only wants to heal you, he wants to make you whole. Every broken piece put back together. We have so much to be grateful for. Don't keep it inside. Don't shortchange your healing by being ungrateful for what he's already done in your life. If you woke up tomorrow with only what you thanked God for yesterday, what would you have? Let's commit to making room for gratitude. Let's pray. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.